It's Kubrick's Universe, the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Kubrick's Universe, the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Furlong, and our producer is Stephen Rigg. In this episode, we bring you an amazing guy named Brian Towns. Now, you may not know the name, but you certainly know the face. Brian Towns began his career in show business as a photographic model in the 1950s. He went on to act in various theater productions, doubled many actors in film and TV, and even worked as a stuntman for the James Bond franchise. In 1979, Stanley Kubrick was looking for someone to play the part of the ghostly hotel owner, Mr. Horace Derwent, for his next film, The Shining. The character of Horace Derwent developed over the years from Stephen King's original 1977 novel through Kubrick's film adaptation in 1980 onto King's own miniseries in 1997, King's 2013 follow-up novel, Dr. Sleep, and finally in Mike Flanagan's film adaptation of Dr. Sleep in 2019. The character was called Horace in King's original novel, but became known as Harry in Kubrick's film, at least in the script, as his name was never mentioned in Kubrick's film or in the end credits. According to King's book, Horace Derwent was an American entrepreneur and businessman who purchased the Overlook Hotel in the Rocky Mountains in 1946 and maintained direct ownership for six years. He reportedly spent $3 million on the renovation, which included a rogue court and a topiary of full-sized hedge animals. Uh, um, interesting form of the game. It's called Denver Croquet, invented by a man named Horace Derwent. As was the case with Derwent himself, everything in the game is larger than life. Twice ordinary croquet size, as a matter of fact. Kids love it, and most adults come to love it too. It's more challenging than it looks because of the size of the ball. Good shot! And uh, it was Horace Derwent who built this hotel, right? I mean, in addition to inventing Denver croquet? Not at all. The Overlook has been here almost since the turn of the century. Mr. Derwent was the man who rescued it from extinction. He renovated it and turned it into a showplace after World War II. It's run in the black since 1975. We'd like to keep it that way. When he opened the hotel, he celebrated with a large costume ball. Derwent ultimately sold the hotel to a group of investors from California in 1952. Horace Derwent later reinvested himself into the hotel and gained controlling interest and used it as a platform to conduct illicit operations involving members of organized crime. There were several mob hits that took place at the hotel in the 1960s. Gangster Vittorio Gianelli, as well as his two bodyguards, were shot to death in a mob hit in June 1966. 
Horace Derwent eventually died, the manner of which is unclear, and his spirit became one of the many that resided inside the Overlook Hotel. Then, in the late 1970s, Jack Torrance is hired as the winter caretaker of the Overlook, and he moves in with his wife Wendy and young son Danny. During that winter, Wendy witnesses a very strange and scary moment when she sees the ghost of Horace Derwent in one of the rooms sharing a rather weird moment with a man dressed in a bear suit. Derwent's ghost lived on even beyond the destruction of the Overlook. Like all the ghosts, Derwent coveted Danny Torrance's psychic power and sought to lay claim to him. Sometime later, Horace Derwent appeared to Danny Torrance. There was confetti on the shoulders of his suit. He reeked of the grave. Great party, isn't it? He asked. This was an idea from The Shining Book, but was utilized in the filmed version of Dr. Sleep. Dick. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, 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 I thought it was... Thought I was from the Overlook. Almost locked me up. Still getting visits from them old ghosts. Well, not for years. Horace Derwin was the last one. Confetti on his suit. Said, great party, isn't it? Kubrick also used the line, but it came from a random ghost rather than Derwent. Great party, isn't it? Danny's fellow telepath, Dick Halloran, taught Danny how to construct psychic lockboxes, which Danny used to imprison Derwent after he had tried to attack him as an adult. Shit, he didn't grin on his face till I pulled out a box for him. That grin went fast. Danny Torrance found himself in conflict with a cult called the True Knot, who were a group of semi-immortals who sated themselves by absorbing the power given off by dying psychics. Danny finally released Horace Derwent's spirit. So now we give you Horace Derwent himself, Mr. Brian Towns. This interview was recorded in early February 2023. Great intro, isn't it? Brian, thanks so much for being on the show. I'd just like to kick off by asking, what can you tell our listeners about what you did as a young man before you got into modeling, stunt work, and acting? Um, after my education, I was called up to do national service uh, in the RAF and saw service in Berlin during the Russian blockade of Berlin, known as the Berlin Airlift, Returned to uh, Melsham, my home base, uh, demobbed, did four years in an office, which I hated, eventually gave that up, and um, also I gave up music and cricket, and um, I did a, uh, some um, uh, work which I'd learned from uh, uh, designing, and eventually got into modelling, which led to acting and then writing. This more or less brings me up to date. So you started your modeling career in, I believe, 1958. Um, what can you tell us about that? 
um, I managed to um, have a, a, um, sit for a photograph um, in a suit and tie and a cigarette, which eventually led to lots of um, cigarette commercials in the days when cigarette commercials were legal. And I did lots of other modeling jobs. The first modeling day I had, I had two jobs in one day, which is an all-time record. I also did two very big commercials in one day. Uh, and uh, the only occasion that I ever had a stand-in um, uh, to do the second one, because I had to rush from a studio in Chelsea to a location in Hampstead, North London. Uh, at the time, the, the stand-in uh, um, more or less did the work what I would have to do, and eventually uh, I got got through uh, the, the, the most the hardest day I've ever had in my life. How did you become a stuntman? Early on in my career, I met Leslie Phillips, and on one film, whose name I can't remember, remember they wanted someone to do a stunt, uh, and it started with him. I also stunted for uh, Jeffrey Bailden in the uh, Cat Weasel series, um, and also one or two stunts in the Bond films. Uh, uh, I never really enjoyed doing stunts, but the money was there and I was required to, uh, to do it. So I enjoyed it to a certain extent, but uh, I managed to get through my stunts without too many injuries. Got to ask, which Bond film did you do the stunt work on? The Spy Who Loved Me, I think, possibly. Stunt driving, yeah. From Russia with Love, I did something in that I can remember in the background. Uh, again, I can't remember any any other jobs I did in the, in the Bond films. You also did some acting on stage, I believe. Can you remember which plays you did? I, I did a live radio show very early on. Um, stage I never liked, but I did... Um, Julius Caesar, um, uh, who opened the play, also did Macbeth, um, the two Shakespeare's, and one or two other stage uh, um, shows that, that I didn't really like, but uh, my agent insisted that I did some stage, and so eventually I gave that up. All right, now to the $64,000 question. Brian, how did you get the job on The Shining? Uh, well, Stanley Kubrick remembered me from a previous audition, which I didn't get, and I think he had me in mind for this, and the, my agent rang to tell me that Stanley Kubrick had this part, a rather rude part, apparently, but as it turned out, I don't think the, the, um, it would come over as rude, but it was described to me, uh, and it, it all fell into place from, the, from there. Hmm. Can you tell our listeners how long you were at Elstree Studios shooting your part for The Shining? Two whole weeks standing by, and on the third day of the third week, uh, 
Stanley Kubrick and the crew came in from the back lot uh, to do some rehearsals, which were shot on camera. Um, this is when I first met Shelley Duvel. The first thing she said to me was, what do you think of the set? I said, it's fabulous. I said, typical Kubrick, I said. So I had more or less two and a half weeks on the film for one little shot that any other director would have done in one take and he would have said, thank you, Brian Towns, you can go home now. <laughs> Do you remember talking to Stanley at all on the set? Uh, nothing much to say about that. He, he, he obviously liked me because he, he, he said he was pleased with what he saw, but then, of course, there wasn't much to... Uh, to criticise, it's such a short film, one one blink and you've missed it, <laughs> almost, you know. You probably didn't see a script prior, so how much did you know about your part and the overall film? June Randall, the continuity girl, I knew her, uh, and she um, explained to me, in addition to what Stanley Kubrick said, regarding the, the nature of the scene, and how it would fit in with the rest of the film. Hmm. Were you aware of Stanley Kubrick's other films prior to working with him? Well, I think we're all aware of, of his uh, um, ability uh, uh, to, to produce masterpieces. Um, so, I mean, some actors were absolutely in awe of him, but for me, I just took it in my stride. Hmm. According to a recent report, your scene was shot 36 times. Can you tell our listeners what you recall about shooting your scene as Horrister went? Um, I wasn't aware of the number of, of takes. Um, I know that there were multiple number, but um, I, I, I can't remember how many um, takes there were. I, I did the job, went home and forgot all about it. Just a standard... Um, studio production. There was nothing remarkable about it. Just another job. Um, all he said to me was, um, look at the camera, look at the lens. That was the only direction. So when I, when I actually made my entrance from sitting to forward, I was looking at the camera all the time from the moment I was before I came into view and to the time when I, when I actually um, was seen by the camera and looked at the lens. There was another character in your scene, a man in a bear suit. Tell us about actor Eddie O'Day who played the bear. Uh, Eddie O'Day and I shared the same dressing room. We got on quite well. Um, nothing much to say about him. Um, he, he was a great maid, but I spent most of my time I, I, in the bar <laughs> with other actors and uh, um, extras and, and stuntmen that, that, that I knew uh, and drinking and enjoying their company. So you said that you talked to Shelley Duvall. Can you tell us about working with her? Shelley Duvall, um, well, as I say, I, I, I met her. But um, her scene was actually a, a, 
uh, um, we were her point of view. So actually, she wasn't actually in the scene with me. If you if you watch the film, you'll see that she comes up the stairs, knife in hand. Here's this music, the open door. Um, you see the the long shot of the chair. We come into view, but that's that is the extent of the scene. Did you meet the actors Scatman Crothers or Tony Burton, who I think were filming some of their scenes while you were at Elstree? Other than Shelley Duvel, I didn't meet any of the other cast, unfortunately. I believe that the scenes that showed all the skeletons sitting around the lobby were shot around the same time. Did you see them while you were at the studio? No. Uh, only the set in which I was involved, which, as I said before, was fabulous. No, I didn't see any other sets. So other than your scene in the bedroom with the bear, were you used anywhere else since Horace Derwent was a fairly important character as far as the plot went? Yes, there was a, a large scene uh, with lots of people in it, extras, and other people. I was somewhere in that crowd, but I don't think anybody would identify me. I don't know why Kubrick put me in there, but anyway, I was in there. What do you have coming up in the future? That is a good question. Um, again, um, Thomas, my so-called agent, um, uh, would, would be um, the person that, that would handle anything coming up in the future. But the answer is, I don't know what will come out of... Um, the thing I've just done with, with the um, plastic monkeys, it's all in the hands of, of Thomas, my uh, my so-called agent. If they require anything from me, they just get in touch. So as of this taping, today is your 93rd birthday, Brian. Happy birthday. Just going to ask, have you had a good day so far? Well, this is um, the most fabulous birthday I've ever had. I mean, good company, and the fact that um, my Dutch cousin and Joachim, his very close friend, had come all the way from Holland to see me. Also, phone calls from my other relatives in Holland. Absolutely fabulous day. The best birthday I've ever had. Hey, we'd like to give our deepest thanks to Brian Towns for that great interview, and also our thanks to Thomas Berenson, who helped us arrange the interview with Brian. Now, don't forget to check out our Facebook group, the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society, and our Facebook page for Kubrick's Universe. Also, we have two great YouTube channels, again, for the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society and Kubrick's Universe. We'd like to say thank you to our founding and continuing supporters on Patreon. To support Kubrick's Universe, simply click on the link and choose your level. We have perks and several different levels of support, starting at only a buck a month. 
We very much appreciate it as it helps us continue to bring our listeners new episodes, new interviews, exclusive content, and the seemingly never-ending stargate of stories that continue to flow out of Kubrick's universe and into your minds. So on behalf of our producer, editor, and bon vivant, Stephen Rigg, I'm your host and humble narrator, Jason Furlong, saying thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Over now. It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error. These guys aren't scientists. They're making it up as they go along. Thank you for listening to the Stanley Kubrick podcast. Come back soon. It was real nice talking to you. Bye. Over and out. This show comes to you from the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society. Mm -hmm.